Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. All right, guys, welcome back to another full episode of the Beyond Fit podcast. This is Jake. So today I wanted to talk about five reasons you still aren't jacked. So that's a word I hear a lot from people, especially obviously guys. They want to get jacked. They want to get big and strong and be lean and all these things. And well, some of these goals are a little bit contradictory. I do believe that you can get very big and strong and maintain a lean body composition somewhere along the lines of like 11 to 15% body fat year round, get stronger, improve different parts of your body and always look great if you follow a few key principles. But a lot of the things I'm about to mention, people are falling short on and that's why they're not seeing the results they want. I talk with people every week who say, you know, I'm working hard, I'm working out five, six days a week, I'm tracking my macros, whatever it may be. And well, there are things that you can obviously do that are evidence that you're moving in the right direction, such as trying to use appropriate macros and applying progressive overload to your training, stuff like that, that I talk about often. There are key metrics that I think people aren't aware of that I'm going to discuss here that are holding back your progress, that are keeping you from a jacked physique. The first two I'm gonna mention here are along the lines of recovery. And so the first reason here is just getting inadequate sleep. There's a study that I go back to a lot and I don't give a lot of credence to studies because I'm so much focused on the psychology and behavior preferences of people and stuff like that, how to create habits that are going to stick in order to create the ideal lifestyle and ideal body and health for yourself that I don't love studies because they're such, they're done in such rigid environments and they are often kind of divorced from reality in that way. But this specific study did a look into how lack of sleep affects one's body composition. So they took 10 overweight adults and put them in 14 days of a moderate caloric restriction. And some of these adults were on eight and a half hours of sleep a night, and some were on five and a half hours of sleep a night. And the difference there is pretty staggering. In the study, the adults um, that slept less, that slept five and a half hours, lost 50% less fat and over 30% more muscle when sleep restricted versus the others that were not sleep restricted that were sleeping eight and a half hours a night. And remember, this was on an ideal calorie deficit. So what they were doing was the same. Uh, The foods they were eating were, were the same. The amount of calories were the same. It was just the sleep that was different. So that speaks to how big of a difference sleep can make. If there's one thing that I focused the most about changing in my life over the past few years in which I've continue to transform my body. It's been just really focusing on trying to get close to eight hours of sleep a night. 
Now, sometimes when I get busier or more stressed, it might fall closer to seven, but I usually try to look at seven as the bare minimum and more of an ideal being around eight, even eight and a half or nine, if I can really spare it. Um, recently, I've been thinking about taking a deload just because I've been getting my eight hours of sleep, but still just feeling so lethargic and tired when I get up and a little bit extra sore, uh, stuff like that. So make sure that in terms of recovery, you know what your body needs. And so it's, it's an individual level for everyone, the amount of sleep you feel best on, but trying to optimize for that. And like I always say to people, cutting things out that are less important Someone who consistently strives to get eight hours of sleep over the course of their lifetime because they realize the importance of this, not only for muscle building and fat loss, which are important for your health and are important if you want to achieve and maintain a great looking body, but things like brain health, things like mood, staving off depression and anxiety and other bodily diseases are mitigated the chance of getting these things is mitigated by getting good sleep consistent consistently throughout your life. And so I really can't underestimate the importance of getting good sleep. And so you're probably not going to be able to watch as much Netflix or, you know, do as many activities in the evening as you'd like to do. And if you want to really maximize your sleep hygiene, which I'll go into, you'll have to make additional sacrifices, but I would recommend that you just start slow and ease into more sleep. Maybe, you cut out 10 more minutes a night to go to bed earlier, or you maybe you usually go to bed at 11 o'clock. You can even go to bed at 1030 or cut out Netflix one night a week to, you know, make sure that at least one night a week you're, you're going to bed earlier. However you can start, it's always easiest to get on the path and then improve from there. If you just say, I want to go from sleeping six hours a night to eight and a half hours a night, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be sustainable. You may do it for a week, but you're going to fall back into your old patterns eventually. So make sure you ease into this whenever you're making a change. But like I said, personally, I can attest to how much better I feel physically and mentally when I'm getting enough sleep and an experiment, a thought experiment I like to uh, go over with people, especially with clients who are struggling with sleep, which is something that happens a lot. They go, you know, why can't I lose this last few, few pounds of body fat or why are my muscle gains in the gym stagnating? And it's like, well, how is your sleep? If you're averaging six, six and a half hours of sleep per night, that's not enough. We got to figure out how to bump that up. And again, I, I, I say this again, I heart back on this. I know we're all busy. Life is busy. We're busy people. But if you watch six or seven hours of Netflix a week, or you know, even more, even double that is probably the average for a lot of people, or maybe even triple that, or you're on your phone for five or six hours a day and it's not work-related, or you're on social media for multiple hours a day, watching YouTube, you know, whatever it is, whatever your vice is, you have to be able to cut some of that stuff out. And you got to kind of be hard on yourself and be honest about where you're wasting time and where you're taking away time from when you could be asleep. And I know it's difficult to look at yourself objectively like this, but it's so important to be able to try to optimize some of the things in your life that are going to make a big difference. These big rocks like sleep. The biggest benefit that I found is just having a hard cutoff for social media or Netflix. So say at 10 o'clock, you put away your phone in another room for sleep, which is another thing I highly recommend. And then make sure you shut off the TV. So if you really aren't tired and want to do something, you can read a book or something like that, or maybe do a meditation or something, but try to wind down before you get ready for sleep and have a hard cutoff of some sort. I think it's also really interesting to note that I wouldn't always even recommend working out on nights that you get poor sleep. Now, 
something you'll hear me talk a lot about that kind of makes this seem paradoxical is that I want you to go and work out when you don't feel like it, when you're feeling too tired, when you're feeling down and lazy. But to some extent, once you begin to know yourself and maybe you become more of an intermediate or advanced bodybuilder, you can more frequently parse out when is it important to just go and take a nap or just go to bed an hour earlier because you're really struggling on sleep. Um, if you're going to go to the gym after, you know, maybe having traveled or having been up late with kids or something, and you've gotten four hours of sleep, doing that a couple times is okay. You know, maybe a couple times, even in a week, if it's a really busy period of the year for you and you, you feel like you're up to it or whatever. But a lot of times capitalizing on sleep is going to be more important than getting every single training session in for the week. So remember that. Remember this stuff is all a balance. Oh, and I'm remembering uh, I didn't fully complete the, the thought experiment of mine, which is, so we think about sleep and food, two of the things that are necessity for humans to survive. And food, we have been able to develop mechanisms to store food in terms of body fat. So you keep body fat in your body, your body has extra calories in there and can burn it off for fuel. So thinking evolutionarily, that's, that's smart. That makes sense so that we can overeat. And then if we're not eating for a while, we have something to sustain us, but there is no fat for sleep. So a lot of people like to rely on this debit and credit system for sleep in terms of maybe I sleep five to six hours during the week and then eight or nine on the weekend. But unfortunately, this isn't how our bodies work. Uh, yes, psychologically, it's going to feel like you can catch up on sleep. And I suppose that that's true to some extent physiologically, but for a large part, we really can't make up on sleep and split it up among you know, weekends and weekdays and feel like we're doing enough to get proper sleep. You really have to get proper sleep night in, night out because we don't have a storage mechanism of any sort like we do with food for our sleep. So it's really important to try to get close to your optimal amount of sleep every night that you can, not just on the ones where you know it's the weekend and you don't have work. So that's a, that's a good tale into the sleep hygiene habits that I have written down here. Now, I always like to preface this with just focus first and foremost on getting a good amount of sleep for you. So if you're optimizing all this stuff, but still sleeping five or six hours a night, it's not going to do a whole lot, but these can help you get to sleep faster. These can help you get more regular sleep and develop more of a schedule, which I think is, is pretty much going to be a positive indicator of getting more sleep. So the first one is regularity. Uh, again, with that weekend and weekday focus, a lot of people may go to bed at nine or 10 on the weekdays, but then have those weekend nights where they stay up till two or three or four in the morning. And I'll do that every once in a while too. This is not about being perfect. Think about all this stuff similar to how we talk about diet and being flexible with your diet. 80% of the time we're doing what we know our body needs. So trying to get that proper sleep and going to bed at the right time. And if 20% of the time we're sporadic, we're not getting enough sleep, we're going to bed at a crazy time during the night, that's okay as long as the, the big majority is us getting the proper sleep uh, and in the proper way. So with regularity, at least six nights a week when you can, trying to go to bed at about the same time and getting up around the same time. So for me, whether it's a weekend or a weekday, I'm generally going to bed around 10 or 11 and getting up between six and seven. And sometimes it just feels good to get that extra hour of sleep on a Saturday or Sunday when I can afford it. But I'm pretty strict with this routine. And I think that that's helped a lot with not 
being overly tired most of the time and not feeling like I'm dragging myself out of bed because I'm expecting, you know, what time I'm going to wake up in the morning. And obviously if you do the math, that's me trying to focus on getting that eight hours of sleep that I need and even eight and a half, nine, if I can sleep in a cold room, that's usually about 65 degrees. That's going to make it a lot easier to fall asleep and stay asleep, limit caffeine and alcohol within about six hours of sleep. Now, I know a lot of people probably are doing like a, a late night workout and going ahead and doing your pre-workout, say after work. So if you're doing that around six and going to bed at like 10, I would recommend you try to find a way either to switch the time you work out if you really love doing pre-workout, or maybe you cut that in half or just something where it's, it's I, I really think one of the, one of the most difficult things for people as far as sleep is getting jacked up on some sort of like energy drink or pre-workout late in the day, because that makes it so difficult to fall asleep. Um, alcohol, I give myself a little bit more leeway. Caffeine, I'm really strict with, like I said, 10 o'clock is about an average bedtime for me. So three or four in the afternoon at the absolute latest is when I'll do any caffeine. But generally between 12 and two will be my last caffeinated drink on an average day. Um, alcohol is a little bit tougher because obviously when we go out at night with friends or to dinner or whatever, we have a few drinks That's the most common time to have a few drinks. So that one, I give myself more leeway on, but definitely I can tell the difference in poor quality of sleep when I'm drinking alcohol. So try to limit that as much as possible. Keep your bed as only a place of sleep and sex. So don't associate your bed with other things like working on your computer, uh, watching TV, being on your phone, you know, anything like that, because that's going to make it harder to fall asleep once you get in bed and it's time to fall asleep because your brain's going to go, Oh, we, we did all these other things in bed. I'm not immediately associating this as a place where it's time to rest and fall asleep and recover. Um, regular exercise is really helpful to be able to fall asleep easily. Uh, most of the people who are listening to this podcast are already doing that, but you'll notice any of those weeks where you get really busy and don't make it to the gym as much as you'd like to, you probably find it harder to fall asleep. So make sure that you're getting a good, tough workout in at some point in the day, especially if, if uh, sleep doesn't come naturally to you at night. And then the last one I have written down here, this is obviously dependent on the weather in your area, but sleeping with an open window, getting some of that cool air, getting some of those kind of calming noises from outside, as long as you don't live in like a busy city, it can be helpful to getting to sleep and having a restful sleep as well. The second reason I have here, like I said, also has to do with recovery, and that is you're too stressed. So your body doesn't know the difference between life stress and training stress, unfortunately. So when you're going through something like troubles in a relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse, or you have stress at work or anything like that, you have to be mindful to temper back your training a little bit, unless it's going to be for a very short period of time and you're handling it okay. So say you really have just one busy week at work. Okay, well, that's one thing. But if you work in, like, I guess a good example would be if you work in accounting and it's tax season, you know, that whole three month period would not be a good time to try to max out and really gain a lot of muscle and strength or go on a severe cut because you are going to be more stressed with work, I would assume. And so you're going to have less of an ability to recover training wise. And just some, some, some notes on recovery here. I think it's important because I try to harp on it, but I don't think I harp on it quite as much as I'd like to kind of like how I touched on. Sometimes you might prefer to go and get that extra sleep that you're missing. Uh, besides go or sorry, instead of going to the gym on a day when you're really tired or you missed out on sleep, 
because recovery is so important. And the biggest things I look at in terms of recovery are not the typical, you know, foam rolling, stretching, massaging, that sort of stuff is very ephemeral. And it's not the really important necessities when it comes to recovery. That kind of stuff is almost like supplementation with your diet where, yeah, it can be maybe the last 5% and it can be helpful, but that's if you have everything else optimized. So sleep is the number one, stress is the number two, managing those two things. And then just making sure that you're eating enough calories and that you're eating enough protein. So when you go on a calorie restricted diet, you have to temper your training back too. And most people do that intuitively just because you have that less energy, um, but making sure you're eating enough calories most of the year and not going on a calorie restricted diet for too long for a cut for too long is going to help a lot in making sure that you're energized for your training and that your recovery is where it should be because your body is not going to promote recovery to the fullest extent when you're restricting your calories. So that's why for me, I try to be at about a maintenance or a small surplus throughout about three fourths of the calendar year, because it's really hard on the body to go through a cut and really focus on losing body fat. That is if you're already relatively lean, like in the teens, body fat percentage wise, probably preferably even like under 15% is where I like to stay. Um, if you're someone who's listening to this and losing weight is a focus for you or losing fat specifically, like you're someone who's overweight or even obese. Um, that's a different story because your body can pull calories to use for energy from your excess body fat. That's in vast excess of what would be physiologically normal. So that's a different story, but high protein as well. If you've not heard my, my take on that, it's try to get close to one gram per pound of body weight. And if you've never tracked protein before, and that seems like pretty crazy, pretty crazy of a jump for you to make, try to get around 0.6 grams per pound of body weight. So you can kind of do that math yourself, but eating enough calories, protein, and then watching your stress and watching your sleep are going to do pretty much everything in terms of recovery. Um, and then recovery is really what's going to be the main driver of growth. You know, the podcast is about reasons you aren't jacked. And a lot of times people don't achieve that body that they want, not because they're not working hard enough or they don't know how to work out or eat. It's just that they're not managing their recovery. It's kind of cliche to say, but recovery is where the gains happen. Your muscles don't grow in the gym. You have to let them recover. You have to give them the stimulus to grow in the gym or, you know, in your home workouts or whatever. And once they're given that stimulus, if they're given the chance to fully recover, that's how your muscles are going to grow and how your body's going to change. Um, but continuing on with the focus of stress, like I said, your body doesn't know the difference between life stress and training stress. So try to keep that in mind and taper back intelligently when you know you're extra stressed in some area of your life. Um, this is often referred to as auto-regulation, which is something that Scott Stevenson and I talked a little bit about in my last podcast on here, but just auto-regulation is basically just knowing when you can go a little bit harder or when you should take a little bit off. And that has to do not just with how you're feeling in the gym, but obviously, like I said a couple of times already, how you're feeling outside of the gym, where your stress is at overall. Um, an interesting anecdote, I heard LeBron James, this was a year or two ago on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he was talking about how he sleeps for about nine hours a day on average, and he'll even nap sometimes when he gets a chance. So that just speaks to how important, obviously, recovery is for a professional athlete at the absolute top of his game. And that just shows that, you know, if he is having to do that, 
obviously he is in the 1% of the 1%, but that just speaks to, Hey, look, look where his focus is at. Look where we can try to get more out of. And then on top of that, I think he's just tries to stay pretty low stress overall is what I concluded from this interview as well. He talked about using the calm app. So having some sort of a meditation app, a meditation practice, um, or something to calm you down at the end of the day, or at some point during the day. And uh, he's very big on just getting massages, mindfulness, stuff like that, keeping a calm state of mind throughout the day, because he expects so much of his body, and obviously attains so much from his body as well. Sometimes, obviously, you can't help stress. And so some ways that I wrote down here to mitigate stress, uh, you might want to write some of these down and implement some of these into your own life, if possible. I think that the biggest thing that I do on a daily basis that helps mitigate my stress is to have a centering morning routine. And in my morning routine on a perfect day, and I say a perfect day because it, I don't always have the full time to do all of this stuff, but I usually wake up and doing what to me are the a few of the obvious things, making my bed, brushing my teeth, grabbing a glass of water. I will do my journal, my reading. I will go on a walk if the weather permits, and I will meditate as well. Now, all this stuff can take up to two hours. So like I said, if I have something right away or I'm sleeping a little bit later than I'd like to, this won't always all happen. But on a perfect day, I'm hitting all four of those things. Walk, read, journal, and meditate because it really helps me center and clear my mind. Uh, the meditation apps I've talked about before that I use are Headspace and Waking Up. I really encourage guided meditations, especially if you're a beginner because it's a really pretty difficult thing to jump into. Kind of like how I'd recommend a coach or an app or a plan at least of some sort before jumping right into weight training. Uh, it's very helpful. Walking is a good way to enhance active recovery um, as well as just clear your mind. So getting that blood flowing first thing in the morning, getting some sunshine. Sunshine's another thing that's important for stress. Um, and then the, the journaling is good for just clearing out my, I guess, emotional health for, for lack of a better term, getting my, my mental self right. And the reading is just the chance for me to learn and grow and continue to cultivate my knowledge, which is important to me also in just that overarching emotional, spiritual way, I suppose. I uh, really love to read first thing in the morning. I'd love to set aside about an hour of reading every day in an ideal world. Usually it's closer to like 30, 45 minutes. But like I said, that's first thing in the day. And I think here's important to note that this might be a different thing for you, but put one really important thing that you want to do every day first thing in the morning, because chances are if you try to plot out time to do it later in the day, you're just going to end up getting too busy and pushing it to the side. I've noticed this with my reading and that's why I decided to put it first thing in the day. Cause whenever I'd say, Oh, you know, I'm going to read it two or three or whatever um, later this afternoon, it would always just end up getting pushed on the back burner. So put really important things first. And uh, when I can, I also just jump right into my first and most important work task after this. So just keep on that positive train of momentum that I built from the morning. Having some sort of a weekly review system is also helpful for your stress. So I've talked about the book, Getting Things Done Before, and the author, David Allen, who I had on the podcast. Having a weekly review system, mine is from the book, Getting Things Done, essentially, where you know that you're going to get to all the things you want to get to, appointments, follow-ups, um, random Google searches, whatever it is. What I'll do is keep everything either in my pictures on my phone my notes in my phone or on an open tab on my phone. 
And then on Sundays or Saturdays, whichever day I choose to do a weekly review, I'll go and clear all that stuff out. So it'll have Google searches I wanted to do, say maybe it's for a doctor in town or for literally maybe just some random Google search that I wanted to get to. And my notes on my phone will say, follow up with this person or text to this person or you know whatever. And then the pictures in my phone might be some Instagram post I wanted to go look at again that I really liked, that I wanted to think about. Getting done all that stuff that is dragging at your mind, we're like, oh, I'd love to go back to that. I think so often we have that stuff in our mind and it's floating around in there, but it's like Dave and Alan says, maybe not verbatim, but like your mind is a really shitty organizing system. If you try to keep all this stuff in your mind, it's never going to work. You have to have some sort of external system for your mind. So having some sort of a weekly review where you de-stress, and this could be where you keep track of your training progress too, because obviously that's something that's super important as well. Other ways I keep my stress low. Um, I don't watch the news. I try to have something to look forward to each day. So whether for you, that's like a movie or TV show or meeting up with some friends or just something that makes you feel positive that you look forward to at the end of the day or at the end of the week or whatever, it's helpful for just maintaining a positive psychology. Um, being nice to people, just giving compliments almost sounds silly, but I notice that whenever I'm down and I try to focus more on that, it makes me feel a lot better. So it's something I've been trying to keep up with more often than not. Um, gratitude in your journal. That's probably the most important part of my journal for me. The other parts include just a word dump. Um, if you've ever heard of like morning pages, just writing down what's ever on your mind. That's something I'll do. Uh, word dump, gratitude, affirmations, and my goals are what I write down in my journal every morning. And I just have a reminder to just have a nice smile because I think physiologically, you kind of can trick yourself into that more positive state of mind by doing that. Um, getting into the sunlight. I discussed that with the walk. It's another reason why the, the walking is important. Getting out, just getting fresh air, being cooped up inside, especially we all know after this last year is really not good for your mental health. And so to keep your stress down, just getting outside is helpful. If you live in a place where um, that's reasonable and it's during a time of year that's reasonable and then just socializing, which I know as an introvert can be hard to remember to do. And that's again, why I'm so strict on planning and routines because I'll plan in the socializing and stuff like that, because, you know, I enjoy it usually when I go out, but I kind of have to force myself. I kind of have to push myself. So again, having a system like a getting things done methodology, or just something as simple as planning your calendar very strictly every week, which I also do, and making sure you include some socializing and some hard cutoffs, at least to some extent for your work or the intellectual and thinking that intellectualizing and thinking that you're doing every day to make sure that you kind of get out of that zone, at least at some point in the day or week. Okay, so those are the notes on recovery, the two biggest things I wanted to hit. The third reason you still aren't jacked, not balancing calories or lacking caloric awareness. So I've kind of came around a lot on calories in the last few years in that I was really all about if it fits your macros and flexible dieting strategies when I first found out about it because I had a lot of luck with not ever understanding calories and then finding out how to count and how to track macros and stuff like that. And that changing the way that I eat and that I go about my daily focus, which used to be a lot more just on like meal timing and eating clean food and stuff like that. And macro tracking helped out a lot with getting rid of the, some of those unhelpful mentalities. But now I say that it's much more just about caloric awareness. I'm not usually tracking calories on a daily basis 
just because I have that unconscious competence that I've touched on in other podcasts where I know that I'm trying to eat a small surplus of calories every day and about 200 grams of protein. And because I eat three really similar meals every day, and then maybe a fourth meal or a snack or protein shake, I'm going to get really close to that. And if the food is really different than what I usually eat, I'll have to flesh it out in my fitness pal or whatever, but I pretty much know what I'm getting calorie wise. But if you have not had much experience with tracking in my fitness pal, whatever, I would encourage you to do that for at least a short period of time so that you can gain more awareness. Um, but the reason I say balancing calories is because some people, you know, I, again, with the IIFYM and flexible dieting, I used to be so anti-diet. I was like, you don't need a diet, you know, just, just control your calories, count calories, which I think is true for some personalities of people, but some people's personality just suits them having to have a hard cutoff. So whether that be intermittent fasting, whether that be low carb, maybe low fat, uh, paleo, no dairy, vegan, which I really generally don't like because it makes it so much harder to get high protein. But anyway, my point being sometimes just having a hard cutoff is enough for most people because calorie counting is a hard cutoff in some way, knowing what you're eating and how much you're eating calorie wise is an inherent restrictor. And so are certain diets. So they're all kind of getting to the same thing. We can't just eat whatever we want, whenever we want, or it'll eventually lead to probably an enormous amount of fat gain in, in pretty much the average person. So having a restriction of some sort and balancing your calories is really important to maintaining your physique. And hopefully you're either building or cutting. So you're either in a muscle building phase or a cutting phase interchangeably use these two terms, bulking and cutting and muscle gain and fat loss are the same to me. But the difference between those two, the biggest difference calorie wise is you can go more aggressive cutting calories if you're trying to lose fat. Whereas being more aggressive and adding calories when you're trying to bulk is not going to be as fruitful because muscle gain is so much slower than fat loss. So going more than a few hundred calories over your maintenance is not going to mean you're adding uh, you're adding muscle that much faster, it's probably just going to mean you're adding more fat than you'd like to. Whereas with cutting, the more calories you restrict, your body preferentially for a while is going to burn fat as opposed to burn muscle for energy. So cutting and going lower calories, like five or 600 calories below your maintenance is going to lead to pretty much the same muscle preservation as a smaller surplus, but more fat uh, loss in the short term. So I encourage you to go a little bit bigger in a deficit uh, when cutting versus your surplus when you're bulking for that reason. Like I said, your body is going to burn fat for energy before it catabolizes muscle. Uh, another big myth that I think is hard people like me for a long time is just the, the anabolic focus on muscle and you don't want to go catabolic and burn your muscle. Muscle does not want to be burnt. Muscle is a lot more resilient than fat. So fat's going to go off a lot easier than muscle goes off but fat is also going to come on a lot slower than I don't, I don't remember if I said that right now, muscle is going to come on a lot slower than fat is going to come on. So using that focus. Um, and then, like I said, I think it's always important to repeat because unless you've learned how to maintain leadness, like I have between that 11 to 15% body fat, if you're anywhere above the 15, 16% range, you have enough body fat to spare that if you're just eating at your maintenance calories, or even are in a slight deficit, your body has enough calories from the body fat you have stored up to account for making a surplus. Um, unless you get below like that 11, 12%, unless you are below like the 
15, 16% mark, you really probably don't need much of a surplus at all. And uh, if, if, if you are implementing progressive overload properly and following all these other um, things that I'm, that I'm talking about today. A couple other notes on the balancing of calories and caloric awareness is, and this is more of a note for people who feel like they're a hard gainer or a skinny guy or girl, make sure you're eating enough every day. So if you feel like you're focused on being in a caloric surplus and you're like, I still don't understand why I'm not gaining muscle and I'm still skinny. It's like, well, you might be in a, a surplus four or five days a week, but if you're in a deficit the other two days a week, you're not sending your body the signal that it's okay to bulk up and build muscle. And this is a little bit more of a bro sciency versus an evidence-based study sort of thing, but it's something I've noticed in myself as a relative hard gainer. You have to be eating enough and eating in that surplus or at the very, very least that maintenance mode, six, seven days a week for months on end in order to get your body into that muscle building mode sometimes, especially as you become more advanced because one or two days of that deficit, your body's going to go back into the mode of being more restrictive. Um, and then the last one here is kind of the opposite. Uh, you don't want to have those gigantic cheat days. I think that cheat meals are fine, but definitely don't have a full cheat day, especially if you're drinking alcohol, those can be upwards of like six, 7,000 calories, which is going to be a huge impediment to your goals, whether it's a lean bulk or a cut, because that's just going to be a lot of fat gain. Now this is going to happen every once in a while. I try to limit these days. I mean, I would say maybe to every month or two, just because they can be so detrimental, but the biggest, the biggest thing you'll see, the biggest reason why people are failing. I think if you just pulled out the average person of the population who, yeah, you know, I work out, I try to eat healthy. They probably have that one day a week where they're just in total binge mode. And that's probably ruining all their progress. Um, that's one thing that I've changed about my lifestyle that has also made a really big difference. The fourth reason here, you're not jacked is ego lifting. So ego lifting is just, obviously you're probably all familiar with that term, trying to do way too much weight and limiting your range of motion in some respect. So this is probably best evidenced in guys that want to squat or bench really heavy. And you'll see them not going down in their chest on bench or bouncing it off their chest on bench, or you'll see those quarter rep squats. And it's tricky because I'm someone who harps so much on heavy weight and progressive overload to build muscle. But if you're not taking the weight through that full range of motion and you're not controlling it, then you're not really progressing. You're not truly progressing. So if I go down and touch my chest on bench on one week, and then with a heavier weight to go down and I'm say an inch from my chest, I'm probably not progressing. Or if I go up 10 pounds on my curls and I'm just swinging the weight up and down, whereas I had good control of it the last time I did it, I'm not progressing. So you really want to think about having a controlled eccentric is especially important. Uh, oftentimes two or three seconds is really good for an eccentric, even though a little bit faster is fine too. So the eccentric is just a lowering of the weight. So say on a bench press, you count down one, two, and then press up uh, with that concentric or that, that moving the weight up. Um, but controlling the eccentric and not just dropping the weight is going to be really key here to avoiding that ego lifting. Um, so you hear me talk about progressive overload. And another thing I'll sometimes talk about that I don't think is mutually exclusive. It just takes a little bit more of an in-depth understanding is the weight is just a tool. So you want to improve over time and get stronger, but 
the weight is just a tool in terms of I can take the same weight and I can progress because I can use different tempo. I can use different range of motion. I can try to enhance my mind muscle connection. These are all forms of progressive overload. It's not all about getting more reps and more weight, because if it was people who bodybuild for 20, 30 years will end up, you know, benching, squatting and deadlifting thousands of pounds, which obviously not everyone can do. Most people can't do. Um, so there's a limit to how much you can progress. And that's why it's important to change up your program every two or three months between rep ranges, between exercise selections, and just making small changes to get stronger in just a little bit different way in order to continue gaining muscle. So remember that progressive overload while being important, can't just be, I'm going to use more weight and going to get it up any way I can, because if you're doing shitty form and you're not progressing through a full range of motion, you are not progressing and you are not adding muscle. So don't be the Eagle lifter in the gym. I promise you, nobody cares how much you can lift. Just try to focus on your own journey and try to focus on truly getting stronger and improving over time. The fifth and last reason here why you aren't jacked is you think all or nothing. So this is another one that's personal to me because I know that in the past it was get every single set in every single day I go to the gym and make sure that I'm eating 100% clean, which obviously I wasn't because I would have these binges on the weekends. You know, I, I, I didn't come across the uh, notion of scrapping your cheat day just because I observe other people. I, I observe myself. So making sure that you're not thinking all or nothing, you're thinking progress is better than perfection. You're thinking perfect is the enemy of good. You know, any of these maxims that I've said before on the podcast and on my Instagram, uh, for example, going to the gym for 30 minutes when you're scheduled for an hour workout is still better than skipping the workout entirely, which seems obvious, but a lot of people's decision-making and a lot of people's schedules don't reflect this. People will just say, well, fuck it. I'll just stay on the couch if I can't go and get my hour workout, if I can only do 20 or 30 minutes. But over time, over years and years and years, and even on a smaller scale over weeks and months, you're going to make changes. You can go and do something as opposed to nothing. Always try to do something as opposed to nothing. The fuck it mentality is probably even more harmful on food where you say, oh, well, I can't hit my diet today. I can't hit my macros. I can't hit my meal plan. So I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And I had one bad meal. So I'm going to have two more bad meals today. No, try to limit the damage. Sometimes you just have to go into damage control and do what you can with what you have. Don't think that just because you fucked up in some small way, it has to lead to other changes or that your progress is scrapped. Making progress over time Again, I'll, I'll heart back to something I talked about at the beginning. Everything is 80-20. The easiest example for 80-20 is your diet because it's easier to parse out and see, oh, okay, I'm going to have a lot of clean foods and, you know, clean is relative, but clean, healthy foods. And then 20% is going to be whatever I want, ice cream, pizza, beer, whatever it is. If you think 80-20 in all aspects of life, I had one shitty night's sleep, so I'm going to try and get back on track for the next four or five days. Not... I'm sleeping like shit this week. Why don't I just stay up all night watching Netflix every night this week? That's that fucking mentality. That's that all or nothing. Um, and the same thing with working out. Oh, I'm going really hard five, six days a week. And then something happens with my kid, with my job, with my spouse. And I just stop working out entirely. Well, no, think about going and working out for 20, 30 minutes. Think about going for a walk if that's all you can do. Because a lot of this is just reticulating the idea that you are someone who's focused on health and fitness and keeping that at the front of mind. So often it's just psychology as opposed to physiology in knowing that I'm someone who does whatever I can at any certain point. And that's why I'm healthy and fit for my entire life. This isn't an ephemeral thing for me. This is who I am building that identification with your habits. Like I've talked about, um, I think it was James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, where 
where I first got that, that focus. So these are the five reasons you are still not jacked. You still don't have that body you want. Again, I'll go over them real quick. Go ahead and re-listen if you found any of this stuff useful and jot it down, or as always reach out to me for clarifications or reiterations, but you have to sleep. You have to get appropriate sleep. You have to make sure you're not too stressed. You have to make sure you're balancing calories and you have caloric awareness. You have to make sure you're not ego lifting and you're progressing in the right way. And you have to make sure you are not thinking all or nothing, that you're appreciating those small wins and that you're valuing progress over perfection. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Hey, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.